Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to the Rock Art Podcast. Join us every week for fascinating tales of rock art, adventure, and archaeology. Find our contact info in the show notes and send us your suggestions. Hey, everybody. It's Chris Webster here for the Rock Art Podcast. Well, this week we had a bunch of things just not work out right, and we had a couple of interview schedules fall through at the last minute. So instead of not bringing you any shows at all, we're going to bring you another show from the Archaeology Podcast Network. And this is one of the ones that I host. I actually host it with my wife, Rachel. We're both archaeologists, of course, and it's called The Archaeology Show. We release it every Sunday morning, and we usually talk about three news articles that are current, and sometimes they're themed like the episode you're going to hear in a minute. This one we called Ancient Chinese Oracle Bones and Other Ancient Writing. I figured for a podcast that's dedicated to what's essentially ancient writing, we just may not be able to read it sometimes, this would be a good episode to put on this feed. So hope you enjoy it. And if you want to learn more, go to arcpodnet.com forward slash archaeology. And you can learn more about the Archaeology Show or just type in the Archaeology Show in your current podcast player and you can subscribe to it there. Thanks a lot. And here's the show. Hello and welcome to the Archaeology Show, episode 184. On today's show, we talk about the origin of language in Mesopotamia, China and Mesoamerica. Let's dig a little deeper into the logographic representation of this show. What picture would represent this show? I don't know. Probably (gasps) just chaos. Oh, I don't know. Like a trowel, maybe? The trowel. That's stupid. Let's find out. Okay. Welcome, everybody, to the Archaeology Show. How's it going? Pretty good. We're here at Glacier Meadow RV Park, which is not near a glacier, but it is near a meadow. No, it is. Like, those mountains right over there. Right, but I can't see any. That's... I that's, can't see any glacier's from glacier my That's Glacier National Park. So on yeah. the other side of those mountains, you'd probably see some glaciers. Right, but I can't see any here. No, so no. So I think it's misnamed. But <laughs> either way, yeah, we're just at the south side of Glacier National Park. We're headed into the park today after yeah. this recording, actually, and we're going to stay there for about a week. So mm-hmm. maybe we'll we'll get some history up there at the visitor center. I know. I'm so excited because, so at first we weren't sure we were going to be able to get a camping spot in the park because we just don't plan far enough ahead to be with all the people sitting mm-hmm. at their computers six months ago to grab these spots. So what I did is I booked us a tour because you can only get in the park if you have like a reservation or a tour or yeah. vehicle reservation and all that stuff is booked out. So I booked us a tour because it was available and it's with a Native American, a, a member of the Blackfeet tribe up here in Montana. And yeah. they're going to do a Glacier National Park like Native American spin on on a tour of the area. So mm-hmm. we're really excited about that. We'll probably have a little bit of of not really a review so much as of what our experience was like in our next episode, hopefully. It sounds like an episode writing itself. I would I would venture to say the writing is on the wall for that one. 
You know where else the writing was on the wall? Oh my god! <laughs> Pretty much. I don't know why I didn't see where you were going with that. <laughs> Pretty much all over the ancient world. Yeah. So, yeah, we're gonna do a deep dive because on, on our last episode, if you heard that, one of our articles was about the recent potential decipherment, if that is a word. <laughs> translation. Oh yeah, translation. <laughs> what deciphering? I like you, decipherment. Once you decipher like and you understand, then you translate. I feel like. Yes, that's true because they have not right. fully translated. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Sure, yeah. sure. So you yeah. got to understand what the symbols mean before so you can go with translate. The made up decipherment word. So Perfect. the decipherment of linear <laughs> elements. TAS-183. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. Or it's just like the last episode that we recorded. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the third segment, I think. Yeah. Episode. Well, you know. there's so much about ancient writing and, and we were both kind of wondering, well, what else hasn't been deciphered and yeah. where has writing developed and who's done what? And yeah. so we just kind of did a deep dive on that article and the whole topic of ancient writing for this episode. Yeah. I think both of us have always found the study of languages or linguistics super interesting, but also like really complicated and there's just a lot of different different paths that language has taken in the different parts of the world. Mm-hmm. And I know when we were talking about that article last week, I, we're talking about it and I'm like, man, I really don't know anything about any of this stuff. I just have like that base knowledge of like yeah. language started with the Sumerians and like right. that was sort of where my my knowledge ended. So it was really fun to like deep dive this and find out the actual origins and where it happened, where it developed independently around the world. Yeah, I'm looking at this you know, kind of just looking at what writing even means, you know, is writing symbols? Is it pictures? Is mm-hmm. it taking multiple symbols and putting them together to form what we would now call words or right. concepts or something like that? Writing can mean different things to different people. And if it you can. understand the meaning that's being conveyed, then, well, I would venture to say that's writing like rock art. We don't understand yeah. a lot of what the pictographic representations of rock art mean because we are, we're not in the mind of the ancient peoples that, that right. produced it. But were they just symbols for, you know, ancient hunting magic, which people always say or something like that? Or could they have actually conveyed like messages? Yeah. yeah. Could they have said, you know, this is this is what's going on here. You know, beware or something like that or whatever. I but, mean, there's a fair amount of rock art in this world. And yeah. you just can't assume that all of it is related to sacred things and ritual. And I imagine some of it must have just been like basic communication. Like, hey, hey, we found a lot of buffalo here. You know, go here to yeah. find more buffalo or, or whatever, you know. It could have been, but also the, the rarity of rock art, because you're, while there is a lot of rock art in the world, it's relatively rare compared to the number of places yeah, there could be rock yeah. art. Yeah, right? that's true. That's yeah. true. And it's also, I wouldn't say difficult to create, but it's it's time consuming, mm-hmm. you know, and you have to have kind of a head for it. And, and to be honest, one of the things I love about looking at rock art, especially the ones that are supposed to represent like animals and stuff. I'm like, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that's definitely how I would draw a Buffalo. Like stick figure Buffalo, man. It's yeah. exactly what I would do. But uh, no, so that linear Elamite, again, it might prove to be one of the oldest written language that is based on syllables. Yeah. So independent pieces that represent words. Right. And, some of the earliest forms of writing include what's called logograms, which is using pictures to represent words. Mm-hmm. So if you have a, like, like ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics, if yep. you've got a picture of a bird, it probably means something related to a bird, right? you know, something like that. Or well, I don't know if hieroglyphics directly translates to stuff like that, but they did use pictures of things to represent other things. Yeah. I think it was a little bit of both too. A lot of these languages mm-hmm. used the logograms, which were the, the pictures. And then they also would have 
images that represented sounds that you could put together into yeah. words, basically. A lot of these ancient languages included both types of things going right. on. And you know, as I'm reading kind of our next note here, mm-hmm. we're going to have to deep dive the Phoenicians at some point. Yeah, they're pretty cool, right? We owe a lot to them, to the yeah. modern world, right? Right. <laughs> because the first fully formed phonetic alphabet, we'll get back to that word, uh-huh. is thought to have come from the use of Phoenician traders uh, yeah. around 1100 BCE, which makes sense because they were trading all over the Mediterranean. Yeah. They had to communicate. You know, when you're, when you're dealing with contracts and purchases and, and things like that, we, you just need a common frame of reference mm-hmm. and it would make sense that they would help to promote or develop that kind of thing based mm-hmm. on stuff that they'd seen. So people to understand. And if you want to trade with the Phoenicians, you're probably going to have to learn their language. Yeah, totally. And I mean, of course, there's the verbal language, which I feel like that was probably pretty easy for people to pick up and share when you're just verbally trying to communicate with Mm -hmm. somebody. But when you talk about trading and, you know, all of the things that go along with that and trust in people, you need to have proof of what you're trading or what you agreed to do. And that's where the written language part came in, I'm sure that in order to believe and trust in the people that you were trading yeah. with, they had to figure out a way to write down the things that they were doing. Right. And why I said we'd get back to the word phonetic, it just looks like it's a derivative of the word Phoenician. Uh-huh. Like their phonetic alphabet would have been the Phoenician alphabet. But yep. I honestly don't know if that's just a coincidence in No, I, th- I don't think it is. I think, yeah. it, I think it is because it was the first one came from right. the Phoenicians. So that's where that word comes from. Well, when we deep dive the Phoenicians, we'll find out. <laughs> I know, so, right? Yeah. Yeah. So so anyway, one of the other cool things about writing and, and looking at this whole topic is I, I'm always concerned with origins. That's why I love yeah, about archaeology. Yeah. Where did the first things come from? That's why when I first started getting into anthropology in college, my first love was paleoanthropology. Mm-hmm. And if Arizona State hadn't been such jerks and not admitted me, <laughs> me and the other 8,000 people that applied that year. Don't I, you have to apply like at least three times before you, you even do. have a chance of and getting I just, accepted? I just kind of gave up after the first year yeah. because I... Anyway, it's a long story, but <laughs> I looked at the people that, that they actually brought in and they were looking for young. I was already 10 years older than most students. Yeah. Uh, they were looking for young people with like, ex, you know, excellent GPAs and stuff like that. And I had, I had a decent GPA, mm-hmm. but I wasn't like a superstar standout student. And they, they kind of had to do that because they get- They got so many applicants. They get hundreds and hundreds of applicants yeah. to their paleoanthropology program, their graduate program yeah. and PhD. And they take like four every year. Yeah, it's yeah, stupid. Totally. So anyway- that's why they're a great school. But you do have a love of the topic. You yes. always have. You did when I met you. You had just come back from Africa. working yeah, at Old of I Gorge. So yeah. I know that you have a love for that. And I've been pestering you about this for years. And I'm going to say it on the podcast <laughs> now because it's going to make it real. I'll edit it out. <laughs> no, you're not editing this one. I am. <laughs> but I really want to do a paleoanthropology focused maybe couple of episodes or whatever it takes for I'd us to, to cover. i I know you would love to do a whole podcast. We yeah. don't have the bandwidth for a whole really new podcast I need a host. right now. But if, if you're listening to this show <laughs> and you are a paleoanthropologist, yeah. like you're in this space, we'll give you a show. Right. We have the yeah. space. You just have to record. Yeah. You can Seriously. even have a, a built-in co-host in you because you just want to like get on there yeah. and talk about it. Yeah. But anyway, for TAS, for our show, I really do want you to do us a... A, like deep dive episode mm-hmm. on it. So, yeah. so, all right. If anybody else wants to hear that, write mm-hmm. into Chris at archaeology podcast network.com wow. and tell them how much you want to hear that because wow. I don't really have the skill set for that, but you definitely do. That's right. That's right. All anyway, right. So <laughs> regarding first things, yes, just a really quick overview here. It seems like according to some research that writing systems have been developed 
independently at least four times in human yeah. history. And it's more than likely a lot Probably more than that. Probably a lot more. Yeah, a lot more Like than boiling that. it down to four is, is being pretty simple about it because within those four, it was probably multiple independent times as well. It could have been, yeah. yeah. And also there's other writings, which we'll talk about later, that you know, they could have developed a long time ago, but it's on materials we simply don't have yes. any evidence for anymore. Yeah. The perishable materials. I know. Yeah, it's so. so, so crazy. That missing majority thing. I know we've talked yeah. about that before, but when you write on wood or silk or bamboo mm-hmm. or whatever, which I, it will come up a lot when we talk about Asia, that, that stuff is just gone. Yeah. It doesn't last through time. It just degrades. So, right. yeah. So some of the earliest ones, again, these independently developed ones that we know about, Mesopotamia, they used cuneiform between 3,400 and 3,300 BCE. And then 1300 BCE, the Shang Dynasty in China. Mm-hmm. Between 900 and 600 BCE, some cultures of Mesoamerican, I say some cultures because there was kind There's of like a, a lot of independent yeah. writing down there. Yep. Uh, and then others like the Indus River Valley and Rapa Nui, otherwise known as Easter Island. Mm-hmm. But again, these remain undeciphered. And when they remain undeciphered and somewhat chaotic in some cases, like they're just yeah. symbols on a thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, is this a language or right. is this just symbolic representation of something? Right. Which may or may not be an actual written language. Yeah, I found this when I was researching Asian languages, actually, but there's a really early, like, language in Mm -hmm. big quotation marks, which is just, like, a series of symbols, and people are like, well, is it a language? Or is it just, like, what you would use to sign a document if you didn't have a written language? Kind of like putting an X if you didn't know how to sign your name. So you have to be really careful to distinguish between that sort of thing, which is totally valid, but it's not quite a language. And then actual real languages that were used for making sentences and communicating. That's how languages develop, though. It is. They start with that, right? If the symbol, you know, wedge shape with a cross on the top of it means grog, you know, (laughs) grog made this, then... yeah. That becomes the word grog, yeah. you know, at some point, and, and you just kind of associate it with that. Sure. So then if you make something that's grog-like, you, you need a word for, <laughs> you need a symbol for like, you know, maybe it's the grog's symbol with a circle around it. <laughs> right. Yeah. So. Oh, you just developed a language. Look, Look at you go. <laughs> I know. So I'll talk to James Cameron. Anyway. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So a little bit of a refresher on some of these. Again, cuneiform, about 2900 BCE, give or take. We said 3400 to 3300 was the development. That was. Origins of it, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that was the origins of cuneiform in 3400 to 3300. Yeah. But like the kind of the height of it was the Sumerians, what is now in present day Iraq. Again, another people that just like gave us so -hmm. much that we have today. I know. Anyway, they were making the wedge-shaped marks in wet clay with a reed. And again, that's known as cuneiform. But the interesting thing is, again, the development of this stuff. So you got people very tediously going pluck, 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 like they're doing these things. And they're like, this has got to be quicker. Or you just get somebody that's a little sloppy with it. Right. (laughs) And, or maybe the clay was too wet and it just kind of rolled together. Yeah. And I've seen some images of it too. And I like, can't even imagine how they were able to decipher that because it all looks the same to me Mm -hmm. like that. It's not like some of the other languages that are like really distinct symbols that are, it's obvious to see that somebody was communicating something specific here. Right. Those read punctures kind of are just, they're, they're very, they're hard to see what they could be saying. And again, it's like wet clay. Like if the clay's too wet, they could just like fall in on itself. But yeah. Anyway, so the reeds have kind of an elliptical shape to them, like a boomerang shape. Yeah. And 
over time, those curves were sort of eliminated. Probably they used different materials to mm-hmm. make the symbols. They realized that, hey, we can make this naturally with this, but that's kind of hard to find and come by and maintain. So let's make them with these. And so the signs were simplified. And then the direct connection between the look of some of the pictograms and the original object reference was lost, which means that maybe something like, again, using hieroglyphs looked like a bird, but mm-hmm. the fact that it means bird was lost. Oh, that okay. kind of thing, right? Because the shape changed kind of away from a bird enough, yeah, right? Yeah. Not, not quite the same with cuneiform, but an easy to understand example. Mm-hmm. And also during this period, the writing was read from top to bottom and then shifted from left to right in horizontal lines, which is how we read today. Like oh, how, yeah. how English is read anyway. Okay. And in a lot of languages are read. Yeah. But also the symbols, because of that, were sort of realigned again through time and then rotated 90 degrees counterclockwise, <laughs> which is, seems like a pretty big God, shift. That's so that's so crazy how that <laughs> developed. Yeah, yeah I, I, so, I almost can't picture it. But, I know. Yeah. I know. The cool thing is the last datable document in cuneiform is an astronomical text from 75 AD because it became more wow. of a, as people were using other languages, it became more of a, a clerical or, you know, mm-hmm. sort of. I don't know. I don't want to say like scientific elite, but you know, a language that wasn't used by very many people. Yeah. 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 And so. it was the basis for a lot of other languages that kind of developed out of that region too. Well, right. And yeah. And I kind of feel like by 75 AD, it was kind of like Latin is today. Yeah, like, exactly. Nobody speaks Latin, but yeah. we still use it in scientific contexts right. and, and things like that. It's the root of a lot of words right. that we use today in all of our different languages. And well, and was... even some services like Catholic services are still done in Latin. Oh, that's true. Yeah. 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 So, mm-hmm. In Egypt, the writing can date back to about 3250 BCE and rock inscriptions again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were like huge symbols on rock and they resemble what became hieroglyphs. So again, pictures that become mm-hmm. basically words to mm-hmm. represent what these things are. Some of those images on those really early ones were over a, a meter high. And they were influenced by cuneiform as well, right? Like it had kind of like bled over a little bit. And I that's, imagine that seen helped it. develop yeah. the Egyptian hieroglyph language as well. I mean, they weren't that far away. To yeah, be honest. yeah. So, I, yeah. The first writing in ink using reed brushes, again, reeds, just like yeah. dominating here, was found in Egypt, which is mm-hmm. kind of cool. And it was known by the Greek term heretic, or which is a priestly script. Essentially, oh, sure. yeah. It's like cursive hieroglyphics. Right, yeah. right. The earliest Chinese writing, which we're going to deep dive here in the next segment, mm-hmm. was uh, 1300 to 1050 BCE from the Shang Dynasty. And again, the Mesoamerican systems, there was actually a number of them mm-hmm. developed anywhere around 900 BCE or so. Uh, yep. Probably not all at the same time, of course, but they had what I guess linguists would call open systems and closed systems of writing. Open systems of writing are not linked to grammatical and sound structures of specific languages, which from what I understood from that basically means that it's a system of writing that's that's a little bit more understandable by other groups around you. Like images not, that make sense to everybody kind, kind of. of. Yeah, kind yeah, of. Yeah. And then there's closed systems where the sound and grammatical structures are tied to specific languages. Mm-hmm. So just different different forms of communication basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was only four closed system Maya books, closed systems writing Maya books that survive from pre-colonial period. Mm-hmm. And then uh, fewer, fewer than 20 overall survive at all. We're going to talk about that a little yeah, bit Yeah, we will. Yeah. And then finally, some of the big undeciphered scripts in the world are Vinca, which is Old European, hmm. Indus, or Harappa script, Proto-Elamite, and Old Elamite, which is like linear Elamite, which is what we talked about. That one's pretty much done. Yeah, yeah. But lists aren't correcting that yet. Yeah. Well, they because it's still like 
debated well, whether or not yeah. it's actually like plus they're not done. gonna like update all these articles it's like de- it's like that deciphered versus translated thing yeah. you're talking about like they yeah. might have de- deciphered it and they definitely haven't fully translated right things, so yeah and then we've got uh linear a the Festos disc which is kind of cool mm. the voynich manuscript the rohonk codex and wow. Rongo Rongo. Wow. Yeah. I really want to learn Rongo Rongo. I'm going to see if that's on Duolingo. I don't think it is. I don't think it is. Yeah. So, so many undeciphered languages. That's yeah. crazy. I wonder if it's lack of resources to learn from or if it's just so complicated that it just isn't something that has we've been able to decipher yet. Well, I don't know about you, but let's try to answer that question with some ancient Chinese wisdom. Back in a minute. <laughs> Welcome back to the Archaeology Show, episode 184. We're talking about ancient writing, and we talked uh, in general about a bunch in the last segment, but now we're going to focus on a couple for the following two segments with a bonus, too. Don't forget to uh, listen to the bonus segment. I know. I'm excited about the bonus. But, you know, we decided to do ancient Chinese and then the Mayan script for our our next two segments. And I think we decided to do that because... The Sumerian language, the cuneiform, and then also Egyptian hieroglyphics, it just kind of seems like those have gotten more play. And like people have heard of those, right? People mm-hmm. know what they look like. You can you can envision those those Egyptian hieroglyphics if you think yeah. about it because of movies and pop culture and stuff like that. So I didn't know as much about the Chinese languages and then the Mayan script. So we figured let's do those because they're less known to us. So that'll be more interesting, <laughs> more fun. Right, right. So the ancient Chinese script... There's some disagreement among experts, obviously, because there, there always there's always is. disagreement among there's experts. There's always just disagreement. But generally, the accepted beginnings of writing in China occur during the Shang Dynasty from 1600 to 1046 BCE. That mm-hmm. year range is what the Shang Dynasty range is. And so it developed sometime during that dynasty. Right. And it is, like we mentioned in the first segment, it's really hard to know because of this whole missing majority thing where we don't have any examples of the perishable material that they were writing on, like the wood, bamboo and silk. Mm -hmm. And we know that they use those materials a lot in China. It seems incomprehensible to me that something even called a dynasty, a government that is in charge of so many people could actually do that without some form of tracking. Yeah, they had to. Right. They had to develop something, right? Because yeah. they had to keep track of the people. But that also tells me like, you know, this wasn't the first Chinese dynasty. Right? Like <laughs> yeah. there, there must have been there stuff have been before something. that and we just don't have examples of it, you know. Yeah. So. Well, like we mentioned in the first segment, there there's some early pottery shards that date to like 4500 to 3750 BCE. They have markings on them. They've identified like 20 or so different markings. But most people believe that those are like markings of ownership rather mm-hmm. than language. Like we were saying an X yeah. as your signature kind of a situation. But like you said, I mean, that could have been the beginnings of a language I'm sure and, it was. and that was 4,000 years ago or 4,500. So because symbols of ownership still mean, you know, that person has a name that they're called yeah. by. Right. Yeah. And that, that symbol becomes the, the physical representation of that sound of what that person was called by. Mm-hmm. Right. So if, if I draw a trowel and that means Chris, you know, <laughs> yeah. then trowel means the syllable, the syllable becomes the syllable Chris. Right. You know, and, and that's what that ends up being. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about one of the coolest things that we came across yeah. in our research, the Oracle bones. That's right. <laughs> so for many centuries, fragments of bones were found by farmers and then sold 
and used for Chinese medicine as dragon bones. Mm-hmm. They kind of still are. Yeah, they probably still are because <laughs> there's a lot of mystical stuff <laughs> that goes on in, in that part of the world. But it wasn't until 1899 that scholar Wang Yurong recognized the characters carved into the surface of some of these bones as early writing. Yeah. And that kind of snowballed into like, well, what is this early writing? What were they doing? Why is it carved into bones? And, you know, they have answered some of those questions. And these oracle bones were generally used. I mean, it wasn't just any old bone. No, uh, it had yeah. to be big enough, right? Yeah. Generally like the shoulder blades of oxen, which I can imagine are, are like just like huge, like encyclopedias. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just you can put a lot on there. <laughs> right. And then also plastron of turtles. And plastron is, if I'm not mistaken, the, the undershell. Yeah. That like flat yeah. part. Yeah. Cause yeah. The, the underside of a turtle is also a shell. Mm-hmm. A little softer than the harder outer shell yeah. that, that you already know. But yep. uh, we used to find those down in Miami. Mm-hmm. Um, all the, all the turtle bones. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So the way it, it happened is that someone would want to know the future. Knowing the future was really, really important to Chinese culture and they thought they could know the future. <laughs> but well, it's, it's important to everybody. Some <laughs> to people just think they can figure it out. Yeah, exactly. So they would go to these diviner guys, basically an ancient psychic, and the diviner would carve their question, whatever it might be, into a bone and then heat that bone up. When the bone cracks, the lines that formed would be how they interpreted That's the cool. answer to the question. Yeah. So like if the king wants to go hunting tomorrow, they'd go, he'd go to the diviner, say, should I go hunting tomorrow? And then the way the bone cracks, he would decide whether or not to actually go hunting. And I guess a lot rided on the diviner's answer because like if he did go hunting and then like didn't catch anything, that would be really bad for the diviner because he was supposed to be able to catch something. So basically ancient Chinese magic eight ball. (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) I bet, I bet things went really bad for diviners sometimes when they, were wrong because, you know, it is still just guessing. (laughs) But so the Oracle bones were used like this by everybody, low, high class. Everybody was going to see these guys all throughout the Shang dynasty and, and into the next one, the Zhao dynasty, where it was replaced by the I Ching. And just really quickly, the I Ching, it's another form of divination. Mm -hmm. It, It does involve writing a little bit. It's a written text of hexagrams that, was used to interpret the meaning of a pattern made by the person who is asking the question and they throw these yarrow sticks onto the table and then the diviner interprets what the arrangement of them means using that hexagram thing. So, yeah. Sounds like those diviners kind of make up the rules and everybody else had to listen to them. I know, totally, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that was how the Oracle Bones and that all the stuff for divination is, is... seems to have had a great influence on the roots of language, right? Also for governing the these larger cities that were starting to, to develop too. Like you said, they had to have a way to keep control of the government and the people and everything. So mm-hmm. all of that seemed to kind of influence it. But there is a very specific evolution of the different scripts in China. The first one is Jiguan, and it dates to 1600 BCE to 1000 BCE mostly pictographic and it relied on images to represent the question or idea and there's like 2500 to 3000 characters in that language so many characters right yep then the next one was we're gonna butcher all these words i know we'll do our best here yeah dajuan which was 1100 to 700 bce and that was known as the greater seal script which was also pictographic but it had a lot more defined characters I, which is crazy yeah. to have even more than 3000 characters but <laughs> yeah i don't know how you learn all those i know right yeah 
So then after that comes the Jizuan, which dates to about 700 BCE, and mm-hmm. it's known as the Lesser Seal Script. Yeah. Now, this one was getting more logographic, so the symbols represented concepts, not objects so much like they did in the past. Yeah. And this one is actually technically still in use today. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Then you had the Lishu, which was from 500 BCE to 220 CE. Mm-hmm. And this one was known as the clerky script. Which yeah. I'm not sure what's going on there. <laughs> it was such a fun name. Yeah. It was used during the Qin and Han dynasties and developed to help document government affairs. And it's also logographic. So picture based. Mm-hmm. That one, I think, is what the language as it is today. Well, not really today because the Chinese language has really developed a right. lot. Right. And, but the characters that you can think of when you think of Chinese language, they, they developed out of this. Which makes me wonder how you develop new words in this language today. Like what is the word for internet? You know what I mean? Like how do yeah. you just, yeah, it's not, <laughs> I don't know. I don't understand it. I know yeah. it is hard to understand. And the Chinese language is really, really unique. We'll, we'll mm-hmm. get to that in a minute here. But so, the the language that they're developing here, though, it's not just for government. And some of the most beautiful, like, artistic expression came out of this language. We've got poetry and prose, and it just, it was really a language of art. And part of that is because it was also a language for the elite, too. Yeah. So it wasn't really used by everyday people until, like, the mid-20th century when it got a little bit more standardized and, and mm-hmm. easier for people, everybody, to learn it was more of a elite language and art artistic language. Yeah. So, yeah. And part of that is because unlike the rest of the world, the dominant script, it remained logographic rather than moving into phonetic, which right. is what most of the other dominant languages of the world are based on. And I, I thought this was so interesting, but it's in part because the spoken language, spoken Chinese language has so many words that sound the same. And it's like your inflection makes Mm -hmm. them different words, right? That phonetic would be really, really difficult because they look the same on paper without knowing what that inflection means. Yeah. So they need the logographic type of language to add that inflection, basically, Mm -hmm. so that you understand what word it is that is meant when you write it down. You can add a little tick here or a symbol Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was so cool. And it's really just like the genius of these people who develop these written languages to figure out how right. to make it work, you know? Well, and we can see that problem too in, in our own language, English, though, you mm-hmm. know, for most people listening to this, you're obviously you're listening to it in English. Right. Yeah. And like, we have this problem driving the RV all the time because the word truck. Now oh. <laughs> this isn't a, this isn't a, an inflection thing. It's more of a context thing, Yeah, but it it's is. a similar idea, right? right. If truck, if truck were spelled with a little bit of a doopy doo on the U or something like that, or the K <laughs> to symbolize that, hey, we mean like automobile truck. Yeah. Or we mean semi truck. We mean semi truck. Yeah. We mean like delivery truck yeah. or commercial truck, I right. should say. Because yeah. every time we see, you know, truck parking or something like that or truck wash, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, we can probably take our RV through there. But then you go across a border and it's like, trucks go here. Well, Okay, we weigh twenty six thousand pounds. And we're thirty six feet long. Are we a truck? Yeah, are we? A, yeah. What do you in guys count as truck? <laughs> and then, and yeah. then, way stations always like. I mean, I know I'm not supposed to go through a way station because I'm not commercial, but it does say but trucks this way. It does. And when we went into Canada, we were like, "Well, does what is Canada considered truck? Yeah, you what's know? a truck in Canada? Yeah, yeah. It's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> so a little so, doopy doo, like you said, would be anybody a perfect way to distinguish that. <laughs> anybody listening, you know, from any DOT right now, <laughs> truck. Does not mean all trucks. Right. Because there are pickup trucks. There are, oh, you know, where do RVs fit in? Yeah. Just, come on. Yeah. Yeah. Figure, <laughs> fix your language. 
<laughs> anyway, yeah. these languages of China were so complex yeah. and difficult to master. They were, you know, often the language of the elite. Yeah, you know? it remained the language of the elite. Like I said, until the mid 20th century, I think it was Mao Zedong who, you know, with communism, yeah. they wanted all people to be mm-hmm. able to read and write. So they really pushed a language that everybody could understand right. and learn. But until that point, it was... It was such a class separator thing, right? And the more valuable members of of society could read and write. And it mm-hmm. was just, it it really increased class division. And it's just an integral part of Chinese society until yeah. communism came along. Right, so right. really crazy how much that influenced the whole society. Right. And like many things in this world, trade and probably exploration and things mm-hmm. like that, Help to spread this language out to neighboring regions. Yep. You know, the greater Chinese empire, so to speak. Yeah. And kind of the reason why to our Western eyes, the Japanese, Korean, Vietnamese and other Asian scripts look kind of similar to Chinese. It's because they were mm-hmm. back how many thousands of years ago, they were adopted from the Chinese script originally because yeah. it was the first one. And then it sort of spread out to these other Asian countries through traders and, and right. such. So, yeah. Interesting thing about Japanese, because I don't, I really don't know a whole lot about Chinese other than what we just like studied, but mm-hmm. I took two years of Japanese in high school and Japanese has three written languages right, right now. You know, they all kind of sound the same when you're talking, mm-hmm. but three written languages, they've got kanji, which is their more logographic script. It's okay. more pictographic. Uh-huh. It's, and it's not really pictures anymore. It, it is symbols that represent concepts though. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kanji. They've got hiragana, which is their more syllabic okay. version of that uh-huh. for Japanese words. And then there's katakana, which is an, also a syllabic language, but used exclusively for foreign words. Oh, yeah. okay. So like the word hamburger is written in katakana because it's not traditionally and a Japanese word. Do they mesh all these together? Like oh, if yeah. you're saying I want to go eat a hamburger at the restaurant. You like could have the ham- three, three written systems oh, in the same sentence. Wow. That is so yeah. complicated. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Language is yeah. just fascinating. But they are distinctly different. Like kanji, yeah. kanji is like square symbols really. Okay. And then the difference between hiragana and katakana is pretty striking mm-hmm. if you know what you're looking for. Uh-huh. So you would know that you would know just looking at it, even if, you, even if you didn't know what the katakana word was, you would know it was a foreign word. Huh. Yeah. That's so. so cool. I had no idea. Yeah. It's crazy. Yep. So, you know what else we don't have any idea about? <laughs> Much of Mesoamerican and Mayan script. Oh, my God. Well, the one we're going to talk about, we know a little bit about. A little bit about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> but it's all just like big faces and teeth. Oh, Let's see man. if we can decide for that. Okay. Back in a minute. Welcome back to the final segment of episode 184 of the Archaeology Show. And we're talking about Mesoamerican and Mayan script this time. Yeah. And there are 15 distinct writing systems that have been identified in pre-Columbia Mesoamerica. Yep, that is a lot of different scripts. So, yeah, and there's probably more. Yeah, probably. It, and probably some of the ones that we think are in one category could actually be moved into another category because it's all very complicated. And, and much like some girlfriends I've had, they're hard to date. <laughs> so, oh, wah, uh, wah. <laughs> <laughs> You want to know something crazy? What? You've only been in one relationship where you haven't broken up. That is an interesting statistic. Where did we hear that? It was on some sort know. of a TV show. <laughs> yeah, it was. Have you ever been in a relationship that didn't end in failure? <laughs> Only the one. Only the one. <laughs> so far, going good. <laughs> all right. Well, have you ever seen a writing system that didn't end in failure? Um, well, I mean, all the ones before this did. Well. All the ones before the one you're I'm using now. sure I would say failure, though. I they know. just evolve into something exactly. new, right? <laughs> exactly. So 
But these Mesoamerican systems are, like I said, they're difficult to date and, and it's difficult to say which came first. But yeah. I think at some point we'll probably figure some of it out because there's really smart people out there and yeah. languages do evolve from not only the language itself mm-hmm. and just it changes through time, sometimes just from people getting lazy and saying, I don't want to draw hieroglyphics anymore and scripting it out. Yeah, right? And, right. <laughs> and sometimes just from a natural evolution and adding of things. Mm-hmm. And then as these reach out to other regions and they combine and things like that, you can kind of work back, you know, mm-hmm. to, to the, the differences. Yeah. So. Yeah, totally. So we definitely have a couple that are known to be some of the oldest, even though we don't really know which one is first. That would be the yeah. Olmec hieroglyphs the Zapotec script and the Isthmian script. We know that they're some of the oldest because those cultures are some of the oldest in the Mesoamerica area. So that's how we know that. And we know some really cool things about Olmec specifically, which we will come back to that at the end of the segment and we'll go into it in the bonus segment too. So you gotta, you gotta be a member to hear that. But so the Mayan script of course is the most extensive and the best, best known of the Mesoamerican scripts. Yeah. The earliest examples of that date back to just 200 to 300 BCE. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. is, which is really interesting and tells you a little something about state society formation and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Because, you know, back in ancient Mesopotamia, Egypt, those areas, they were forming into state societies a few thousand years before Earlier. this. And mm-hmm. when you have that many people and that much governance taking place oh, in China too. Yeah. When you have that many people and, and the need to govern like and organize control, them. Yeah. You, you, I mean, you have to develop some kind of system of mm-hmm. writing. And this just tells you that while there were people here, you know, up to, I mean, we know at least 10 to 15,000 yep. years ago, it could be a lot longer mm-hmm. and they just, they just didn't, didn't really group, need it. Yeah. They just didn't group up yeah. into these larger societies. And it means that the language development was just a little bit, a little bit slower. And yeah. that's just... That's just what we know about the new world well, cultures. and the, Like all inventions, you invent what you need at the time. And if exactly. they didn't need it, they didn't need it. Yeah, totally. So. so the Mayan script uses both logograms and symbols. And so far, there's been 700 different glyphs documented. And about 75% of them have been deciphered. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good odds right there. They were widely used across the area occupied by the Mayans Mm -hmm. and also across the entire time period, too. Yeah, you would find these on altars, stele, elements of architectural sculpture, Mm -hmm. and especially around like doorways and stairs, which tells me there was probably a little bit of mysticism and maybe even identification going on. Like, this is my house. Yes. Yeah, totally. I think that was definitely happening. They could also be found painted or inscribed on pottery. Mm-hmm. And there's even examples of them being painted on cave walls and sometimes on the interior walls of buildings. Those are much less common, though. The walls in particular, I think because the walls like fall down over time or sure. the, the plaster that they were painting them on is is gone. So, mm-hmm. you know. We just don't have a lot of examples of that. But can you imagine what one of those buildings would have looked (laughs) like in the time? Just like covered in these beautiful painted glyphs communicating whatever it was that they were communicating. I think that would have been so cool to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it might not even have been communication necessarily, but dedication, recitation of a battle or, Mm -hmm. you know, the reign of an emperor or something like that. That's usually what that kind of stuff was. There were shorter inscriptions as well, sometimes found on individual artifacts of like jade, greenstone, shell and bones, mm-hmm. small things like that. Yeah, they would they carve would this on. stuff anywhere. Yeah. Really. I mean, carve it was or paint. Yeah. We do it now. Yeah. I, I think the smallest thing ever written, from what I remember, was 
uh, it was a whole bunch of stuff, like an entire something or other written with like a scanning electron microscope on a piece of rice or something. I was just going to say, so, yeah. so I don't know if these are still popular, but like when I was a teenager in the late nineties, <laughs> early two thousands timeframe, there was these little rice necklaces you could get yeah. and it would be like something, maybe just your name or whatever inscribed right. on a piece of rice in this little like bottle thing that you would wear around your neck. Right. It probably oh just God. said you're a douchebag because nobody could did. read it. Yeah. It should have said that for sure. <laughs> It's like, thanks for your money, sucker. <laughs> that's what I'd write on it. Know, totally. Oh, my that's God. Like, that's like, I'm going to get you a, a rice name pellet, and also I'm going to name a star after you. Oh, oh. so sweet. <laughs> okay, so this is my favorite thing about the Mayans, because we haven't, we didn't talk about this much in the development of other writing systems, but the Mayans actually had books. Yeah. <laughs> they had screen fold volumes written on bark paper, typically in red and black ink. Mm -hmm. And these volumes mostly replaced the inscriptions actually on the monuments by the ninth century CE. How did they save their place when they're reading those books that are written on bark paper? <laughs> I, I think they would dog ear the pages. Oh no. <laughs> You're so stupid. That must be where that comes from. Oh, oh you think so, huh? Well, and, I mean, if you're on bark paper, you have to dog ear the pages. So dumb. <laughs> Couldn't stop. Okay. We've only found three books and three that have survived the tropical climate. And also, zealous Spanish priests. Yeah. Apparently, when the conquest was happening, they would just burn them every time they found them to get rid of the the books of the heathens or whatever, which is just insane. Yeah, People always talk about like, what would you do if you go back in time? I'd kill Hitler, blah, blah, blah. You know, sure. That would help. Right. Mm -hmm. But also just like teach somebody in religion a thousand years ago that burning books is probably not a great idea. Yeah. And like yeah. you should preserve cultures and learn from them and try to work with them rather than just stamping them out violently like that's not gonna I mean, be good for anybody yeah i mean they burn these things because they don't want people like going back to their old ways so yeah. to speak but also you know it could also be argued that if you leave them around they would see i mean thinking from the perspective of the priest they mm -hmm. might see that their old ways were you know savage and you yeah. know disorganized compared to the new way but yeah. if you take that away then they don't know what they had before right you know historically a couple generations down and they might just go back to it. You know, who knows? It's so short-sighted, too, because, yeah. like, half of the Christian holidays developed from pagan holidays. But, like, you know, at a certain point, they just sort of forget that association with the right. pagan holidays. And right. no, 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 these are totally Christian holidays. And if the, the fact that they can't look at the Mayan yeah. people and see that the same development could have happened is, is crazy. But that's yeah. just, that's how zealots go. So anyway, back to the script. Yes. Um, they have some images that are... I mean, literal representations, of real objects, yeah. right? Much like hieroglyphics and other things like that, mm -hmm. which totally makes sense how writing would form. Like yeah. you see a thing, you want to represent that concept of that thing to another person. Draw you, you draw the it. thing. Yeah. Yeah. The thing just becomes the, the language. Mm -hmm. And there are also symbols that refer to objects or actions. And this can be like adjectives, prepositions, plurals, numbers. Like they were able to get so much of their spoken language into these different symbols. I always forget prepositions. So that would be like place the sacrificial head on the altar. It is anything an airplane <laughs> can do to a cloud. Stupid. <laughs> Over it, under it, through it, around it. On it. <laughs> on it. Yeah. Yep. So so sacrifice the virgin on the altar would have been a preposition <laughs> that they would represent 
within. Except the Mayans know. didn't do that. Oh, so yeah. let's not right. be building <laughs> the wrong. When I listened to the Dirt podcast where they talked about the, the movie a- Apocalypto, a- yeah. which I don't think was Mayan, actually. No, that was Aztec, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it was sure. Aztec. Yeah. yeah. Well, that w- it was right word, the Spanish. Well, according to Mel Gibson, they're all the same. <laughs> oh, my so, God. Let's take yeah. history lessons from Mel Gibson. That's a great idea. <laughs> right. Anyway, <laughs> so... There were also, okay, let me just recap here because we keep <laughs> derailing ourselves. We have, hear this note here. Oh my God. We have images that are literal representations of objects. We also have symbols that refer to objects or actions. And then finally, we have phonetic glyphs that represent sounds like vowels or potentially the sound of a vowel and a consonant together mm-hmm. or even two consonants together. I'm thinking like the CH sound or something like that if they yeah. had a similar kind of thing. So they, they created glyphs to represent those sounds. Right. Very complex, right? I love it. Okay, so the way that Mayan script looks is that these signs and symbols were arranged into square blocks, right? Mostly square blocks. And they're in these columns with two blocks next to each other and then there'd be a small space and then two more blocks and then a small space, two more blocks. Mm -hmm. And then it's, it's columns of these things, right? However, the way you read it is it's from... The top left, horizontally, you go across two blocks and then you go down and you read the next two blocks and then you go down and you read the next two blocks all the way down that column and then you yeah. go back up to the top and then it's two blocks and then you, you go down like that. Yeah, much like a newspaper. Yeah, kind of. I yeah. mean, it is. It's in columns, but there's only two yeah. blocks per column. Right. It's so cool looking. I, I mean, I've seen it in like mm-hmm. movies and images and stuff like that, but just looking at it for do, from doing this research... The blocks themselves, they're so artistic. They're so beautiful and just so cool looking. I love it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Much like writing systems across the world, only a small elite group of people could actually read and write. Mm -hmm. Right. And what I want to know is, you know, you've got like stonemasons and stuff. I mean, sure, there's the books and and there were probably a lot more than, than we even know of if there's, you know, certain ones that are existing. Uh, mm-hmm. They probably had them all the time, but again, it's a jungle environment. If it gets lost or forgotten, I mean, it'll probably just degrade pretty quickly in that environment. Yeah. So, but either way, the inscriptions and stuff, I wonder if the people who were the stonemasons and things that were creating these things even knew what they were doing or if they were just literally given a drawing right? and saying, recreate this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Who knows? It could have been even, you know, in some of these societies that you weren't like allowed to even know the language. Yeah. You know? It's interesting you say that and it's escaping me which one, which of these ancient languages that I, yeah. that I researched in it, but they did have some, some like cleric type people didn't really understand the script. They were mm-hmm. just copiers. Yeah. Like they were just there to copy oh, yeah. from one thing to another. Or like you're saying, maybe the Masons just had like an image that they were given and they were just meant to copy it and they didn't really understand how to read it or what, or how yeah. to form new new inscriptions right and that's happened i mean that that's happened time and time again in pretty much every society because yeah. before there were copy machines yeah there were copy people yeah yeah and totally. the church is well known for that like that's why there's a lot of like that's why there's a lot of versions of like bible chapters mm-hmm. because they were copied they were tra- decided they were translated into different languages mm-hmm. they were copied 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 and you know one clerk may have just like been a little sloppy like and the then, telephone i know it really is right <laughs> yeah. and, and and that's how changes happen and stuff yeah, like that yeah totally <laughs> so so the writing was considered sacred we think and most of the inscriptions seem to be like histories of both the real world and also their mythologies, Mm -hmm. dedicating buildings and monuments to specific gods. 
that kind of thing. So there was definitely a lot of the the sacred realm around these inscriptions. Right. But there were so many of them and, and they're on everything. I just can't imagine that there wasn't some like everyday stuff in there too. But maybe we just haven't gotten to the point where we understand that stuff yet. Yeah. I don't know. So that's pretty much the end of this episode. Mm-hmm. But like we said, there is a bonus episode. And if you're a member, arcpodnet.com forward slash members, if yeah. you're not. But if you're a member, just go to the ad free downloads page or click into Slack and you will see this. And and I'm so excited about it. So I'll give you just like a little bit of teaser here. It's called the Cascahal block. And it's an early, early writing system, Olmec, probably. It was discovered in Mexico and it represents some of the oldest Mesoamerican writing. And anyway, there's a whole crazy story about how they found it and how they've deciphered it. So I'm really excited to talk mm-hmm. about it. And yeah. you guys should totally go become members so you can hear all about it. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. So, and by the way, I mentioned last time as I was shaming Australia for not having any members of the Archaeology <laughs> Podcast Network, it turns out we do have one. Okay, good. We don't collect that kind of information from our members. Right. So I didn't actually know. But thank you, Greg, for being a member of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Yeah, uh, and shame on you for just throwing stuff out there without uh, without you know, doing your research first. Maybe sometimes it's just like, are people listening to this? <laughs> and like, like two days after the episode, Greg comes into our Slack team and is like, hey, hey. I'm in Australia. <laughs> Sorry about that, Greg. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, if you're interested in becoming a member, again, it's $7.99 a month. You get stuff like our bonus content and bonus content from other shows and you know, past recordings of live events that we do. Yep. And then also anything else we do related to related to membership, plus the Slack team, which is really cool. And there's a, there's some active people over there yep. that are really having discussions at the end of like a lot of different episodes from yep. the Sierra Mark podcast, Archaeotech, this show, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and a few others, there's some, some really good discussions happening back there. So if you're interested in keeping that conversation going and seeing what other people think, also talking to people like us, the hosts, uh, I just got to get Rachel back there. She never goes to Slack, but uh, <laughs> I know, I know. I'm that, on other Slack channels like all day long. I know, like the idea of going to one more Slack. <laughs> I mean, I hear you. Team, I'm on like team, 19 Slack teams. I know, so, I know. Yeah, Slack's a but, lot, but it's such a great communication tool. It is, and it's yeah. free. Yep. So, and it's included with your membership. All right. Well, with that, I think we will go explore Glacier National Park and and hopefully have something to talk about on this show, yeah. especially after that tour that yeah. we're going to do on Tuesday. I'm so. excited for that. Yeah. All right, we'll see you guys later. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Rock Art Podcast with Dr. Alan Garfinkel and Chris Webster. Find show notes and contact information at www.arcpodnet.com forward slash rock art. Thanks for listening and thanks for sharing this podcast with your family and friends. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. 
Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Come.